Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, this is Diane Stemple, and you're listening to Cutting the Curd on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on heritageradionetwork.org, or you can get a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. This is Diane Stemple. I'm doing one of my last shows, subbing for Ann Saxelby, and I'm continuing to focus on my favorite cheese people. Today, I'm happy to introduce my first cheese mentor, Peter Kendall. Hello, Peter. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I met Peter my first day at Artisanal. He was the fromager there at the new restaurant where I showed up with zero experience and a love of cheese, and he took me under his wing. Since working at Pichelin and Artisanal, Peter has traveled far and wide to make cheese, from the Isle of Mull to Haystack Mountain, Colorado, to Vermont, to Redwood Hill in California, and he currently hails from Hawthorne Valley Farm in New York. A very fond welcome. Thank you so much. So, Peter, I've been focusing on people's cheese paths, how they got to cheese, and what they've done in cheese. And I'm wondering if you could tell us, how did you get to cheese? What did you study? How did it change? It's funny. We were... My wife and I, uh, we were originally from Colorado, uh, getting a, a degree in biology, and mm-hmm. uh, to pay our way through college, we, we often worked in restaurants. Um, I happened to be working in a brewery in Boulder um, as the, the microbrewery craze had taken off, and uh, we would come back to New Jersey, where I'm originally from, for Christmas every year, and... Um, as it turned out, my wife had studied uh, French for almost 11 years and was fluent but had never been to Paris. And back in the days of travel agents, uh, we, <laughs> we, we called to get fare back for Christmas, and it turned out it was cheaper to fly to Paris than it was to New York. Ah. It wasn't my first place, uh, first choice of, of places to go, but it was her birthday in February, so we, we decided we'd go to Paris for a two-week adventure, and uh, she would get to practice her French, and, and we ate, and mm-hmm. every night we ate cheese. Mm-hmm. And I was totally into food science because we were into this microbiology and, and brewing beer, and it was very similar. And all of a sudden, there was this new product, cheese, mm-hmm. and, and we had seen what beer was doing in wine and, and, and bread. And we were just like, why isn't cheese doing this? So we Good just question. took it we, you know, we took it upon ourselves to, to, to make that our, our life's work for, for as long as we could and see where it would take us. And eventually it took us to, to, to moving back to France. We won the Jeffrey Roberts Award in 1998. Now, um, what was that? It's, it's a food-related um, travel stipend. Uh, and it was, it was in Food Arts magazine in the back. Jeff uh, Roberts from Vermont? 
No, not not that Jeff Roberts of of American cheese uh, lore, um, but uh, Jeffrey Roberts, who okay. was a wine importer, um, Australian wine importer, um, who died in the I guess in the late eighties, and Jancis Robinson and a bunch of of uh, big wig foodies and wine people uh, decided to create this um, yearly award for people that were interested in doing food-related travel. Mm. And, and my wife, who has this, this uncanny knack of, of finding these things and, and making, Pursuing them, them. making them work, um, she, she sent a letter out, and it, it turned out it was Jancis Robinson. She was friends with some of the friends that we had, and, and, and she... And you she won the award. We won the award. And <laughs> so it, it, it and sort of edified our... our our desire to go study cheese in France. So in 98, we won the award. She, she came over and took pictures in London with, uh, Jancis and, uh, and Caroline, Jancis. your wife, Caroline, my wife in London. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, again, serendipitous moment. She was going to London anyway. Mm-hmm. So she, she got to do the, the pictures for the Jeffrey Roberts award. Sort of long story short, it was, it was not a lot of money, but, a lot of influence and mm-hmm. Jancis pulls a lot of strings over in Europe and uh, she she uh, hooked us up with Niels Yardarian London specifically which right. wasn't our original intention was 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 More France. France yeah um, but it, it turned out to be um, really a phenomenal trip we spent mm-hmm. about seven months in France just traveling around um, meeting up with the different affineurs all over France and and we sort of and staying with them and learning from them? No, no. no. It, it's not that easy. As Americans, <laughs> we, we, we went over and, and s- simply said, we'd go into the shop and, and you sort of play the game of, of uh, speaking French to them and buying the cheese and being interested and then coming back the next day and say, wow, we really like this. And, and So it takes a while. Is there any? Yeah, and you kind of have to break the ice um, with, uh, with French people. And, uh, and I love them, and they were so... Supportive, but in the beginning it was very awkward uh, trying to get the game down. I've um, done that in stores in France. It is very awkward. You sort yeah. of have to prove yourself to get like to the second level of conversation. Kinda, yeah. And and they were. I mean, initially it was it was a flop. We went to the first Duffinor and he said, "Use the phone book." We we had asked <laughs> if if we could if there were any um, uh, sympathetic uh, cheese makers locally that we could go visit. And the, that was where we got the phone book. Uh, but that was bad timing because there was a lot of um, funny American dynamics going on in... In 1998. In Bordeaux in 1999. We won the award in 98. Um, and it just turned out to be um, just the first stumbling block. We went down to the next staffineur and spoke with him. And he was very willing to, to show us around and, and, and take us out to a, a cheese place. And then once you went to the third one... You could drop the name and say, "Well, Monsieur Bachelet did this," and, and they were like, "Okay, we have to outdo him." And then once that happened, all of the ice then the doors the, 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 the doors opened so wide it was it was overwhelming because he gave us two pages uh, at, at the third um, uh, Monsieur Xavier two in, pages in Toulouse, of two pages of references of farms that made cheese that that would would be you. willing to come in, and they said, "Just call them, use my name," and. And then all of a sudden we said, okay, let's find all of these on the map and we'll, we'll put little tacks on and do day trips out to uh-huh. each of them and, and call them and find out who, who, was, um, 
who was doing what. And and this we pretty like much the fantasy ideal way of learning about cheese in France. Yeah, it was, and it, and it's funny because my French wasn't very good. I had I had only studied a couple of years by then, um, and uh, my wife's was fluent. So I was I was watching the kitty cartoons in the morning, and that was my my level. And I, I, I felt very comfortable watching. To bone up. And and. Um, Anyway, that was that was sort of the beginning of it. Um, what did you do at Neil's Yard when you got to London? When we got to London, we well, the the original intention was um, that that France shuts down in August, so we would spend August in London. Mm-hmm. So we took our tandem road bike, <laughs> which we traveled around quite a bit on, which was really fun. Um, over and uh, spent some time at Neil's Yard Dairy. I managed to get. Um, deathly ill um and i was just bedridden for for about a week in in london and i got better health care there than i went here which is embarrassing uh-huh. but um a, a good indicator um that's but, another political tangent yeah a whole nother tangent <laughs> but we won't go into that um we we just we hung out we met uh bill oglethorpe and and talked to them about things and then um uh, talked to Randolph. He showed us around. We went to Borough Market. We went to the, um, the Neil's Yard. Anyway, um, went off to Montgomery, uh, Jamie Montgomery, who um, we didn't necessarily know, nor uh, had we had any inkling as to what we were getting into when when we took on the the British side. We were we were very interested in the Isle of Mull, and we worked with Jamie Montgomery. It was just mind-bogglingly fun. Um, he was worried that we would be bored, and now I still talk about it with, with glee in my eye. Wow. And then um, we helped him develop a new cheese, the Ogle Shield or the Ron Shield, which is still in existence, which, uh, again, I, I, I thank him every every day I wake mm-hmm. up because he, he changed my whole concept of, of uh, cheese making mm-hmm. and, and just sort of taking it on and, and understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, with one cheese, and right. mind you, I make like thirty cheeses now. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a life's work to understand one. I um, remember one of the gifts you gave me was you introduced me to Jamie Montgomery in the bar at Louisville in two thousand and five. You said I have something to show you, and you like bring me into the bar and you introduce me, and he was incredibly friendly. Yeah. I mean, I spent yeah. twenty minutes talking to him, and I was just and pinching myself. I, I, you kind of have to understand the house that he lives in is is on the landed gentry and well you, so you oh said that gosh, to me you, you whispered like, in my ear yes well cheesemakers you know he's landed gentry <laughs> i thought <laughs> no, it might was, have been a monty python was, reference but i realized epic here we were on our <laughs> tandem road bike riding through somerset and all of a sudden we come up upon this this landed gentry oh and, it probably and looked like downton abbey it was very much <laughs> like downton abbey and and we walked in and, and there's enormous um sort of eating room i guess you would call it and and there are these john singer sergeants of all of the montgomery's over the years and we're like oh <laughs> we're here aren't we <laughs> you've arrived yeah and the bedroom we english in cheese was, is not so far behind it was a fascinating it was a fascinating counterpoint to the french approach and and in retrospect we look at it as um the british were a lot closer to what we as americans were at Mm-hmm. not where the French were. Right. So so all of the, the the ideas that we had of affinage and 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 French cheese were great, but they weren't at 
the market level that the U.S. was. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Randolph, uh, Randolph Hodgson of Niels Yardari has been one of the biggest influences in me as a cheesemaker because he, he had a lot more pragmatic approach to, mm-hmm. to dealing with cheese and dealing with marketing. Is, is, um, and he has nurtured many cheesemakers in America. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's been into that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he still stands as, as one of my top heroes mm-hmm. in, in the cheese world. But it took me a long time uh, after that, at least a year before we actually recognized that... Uh, the, the impressiveness of what was going on? Well, the, the... I don't know what the, the exact... The, the difference between the two and, okay. and, and, and where that fit in, into what we were doing. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we weren't going to bring French cheese and we had to get to the British cheese because we had no idea the British cheese was were so good mm-hmm. and they were uh, well there's uh, a bias really, towards french obviously in this country yeah, obviously yeah especially yeah. then yeah and then i mean coming back there there were the whole issues of of trying to get the best french cheese in america or the best italian cheese in america and the best british cheese in america and and i remember specifically at murray's um, after i came back i I was kind of taken aback by by the French approach to um, cheese and its distribution. When when you go to Haute Savoie and you realize that there's 20 other affineurs connected to um, the, the affineur in Haute Savoie, mm-hmm. he does great Comte and he does great Tom de Savoie and Reblochon is is impeccable. And then he'll bring in the Loire Valley, the best of, of the other Afinor's cheeses. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same. And this, this you mean kind he of, doesn't have their best? It's, no, he has them, but it's out of context. Mm-hmm. And they, they make an attempt for it more for, I guess, for... Um, the foreigner or the For the, the foreigner visitor. or the visitor, mm-hmm. yeah. But it didn't ring true. I mean, why would you it's go more to regional. Haute, why would you go to Haute Savoie to eat Loire Valley goat cheese? Because mm-hmm. it's it's obviously not going to taste great, mm-hmm. or I mean, it'll taste great and taste better than it would in, in, in New here. York City. Right. But but when you when you taste it in Haute Savoie, you're kind of like, I'd rather have Reblochon or Tom de Savoie, not Loire Valley Valence. Anyway, the sort of that lesson took a while to really sink in when I started to try to source so many great cheeses from Europe in New York. And I thought, oh, we need to make cheese. Mm-hmm. We really need to make cheese. Mm-hmm. And we need to create regional agriculture economies that are based on that product. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started reading Wendell Berry, um, Unsettling of America. And in that time in New York City, really um, wanted to get on the the agricultural side of of cheese rather than the the retail side of it. Okay. We're going to have to take a break now. This is Diane Stemple at Cutting the Curd, talking to Peter Kendall about his cheese path, and we'll be back soon. Thanks. This one's called Shop Till I Drop by Pamela Royal on the heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. 
I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Every Wednesday at noon, Dorothy Ken Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I'm going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen. Francis Malman. Cooking with fires, it's very feminine, it's very fragile. And Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef Story heritageradionetwork.org Hello, this is Diane Stemple Cutting the Curd with Peter Kindell, my guest from Hawthorne Valley and um, we were just uh, finishing up his cheese path and I wanted to ask him a little bit about after artisanal I remember you announced you were leaving and you were going to the Isle of Mull to make cheese and I probably, you invited everyone on the staff to come visit you, and I said, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we actually had a lot of visitors. I was impressed. My, yeah. my, my whole family came over. It's a long was, way to go. It is a very long way to go. My brother got married in Barcelona that summer while uh-huh. we were there. So we had to go from, from Tobermory, Scotland to Barcelona. And you would think that would be easy. But the ferries. It took us like two days, yeah. literally, yeah. just getting the ferries and the bus and the train and then on the plane and the plane went to... I still remember those roads where they all of a sudden become one, one lane. lane. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and as an American, yeah. you're going to veer to the wrong direction when yep. someone comes at you head on. Yeah. And, and, you, and doing it on a tandem road bicycle is even worse because you have to change your, your, your little rear view mirror and, and, oh my gosh. Did you just crash into the brush? No. No, never? No, never did. Okay. I never did. Okay. I, I found the driving to be easier than the, the riding, but generally there were, there were, uh, there was, not so much traffic that mm-hmm. it wasn't that big a concern. So can you tell me a little bit about making cheese on the Isle of Mull with the reeds? With the reeds. When we originally went, it was in 1999. Uh, we just spent, I think, a week or two weeks with them and absolutely loved it. It's a, it's an idyllic place on, on uh, the north of the Isle of Mull, just up from Glasgow or Oban. Um, and they have a, a very large family, and each of the family, each of the, the sons... Um, runs a different business on the island. One's a baker, one's a, one runs a bed and breakfast. Uh, two of them work on the farm, one with animals, one with just general construction. Um, but they all have families, and they all have grandkids, and they're all there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really, it, Jeff and Chris were, uh, they're our adopted parents. They're, they are just uh, the most wonderful people. Um, they, they were wonderfully welcoming to us when we were there for two days. Yeah. They yeah. were just, I, and they, they embraced us. us. They, they gave us uh, an apartment up over the dairy. Uh, we stayed with them. They invited us back in, uh, was that 2002? 
um, to they had just expanded their creamery um, to a very large space and wanted to start dealing with Kathy Biss's sheep. They had a lot of sheep's milk. So they wanted to start developing sheep's milk cheeses. So we started, we helped them with, with developing new uh, sheep's milk recipes, um, a bloomy rind called Mulberry, mm-hmm. um, which was... Did just, it take uh, off? Did it last? Uh, you know, I think it's still sold, but I think it's just sold up there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not wide distribution, um, but their, their cheddar's still everywhere. And that was, that was part of the fun was to, to get to, to sort of dig into the cheddar recipes and dig into the make process and, and start to um, just develop an, an idea of what mm-hmm. was going on and, mm-hmm. and, and what things in the make process um, made for better cheese, um, mm-hmm. which ones went to Neil's Yard, which ones went to Ian Mellis, which ones... It was really... It, it was fun on mm-hmm. that scale. And, and again... And you learned a lot. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just had such a wonderful time. Um, yeah, very fond memories of, of them all. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, anything else about your cheese path? Would you? What would you recommend to someone, like a twenty-two-year-old who wanted to go into cheese? What should they do? Where yeah. should they go? That, I mean, we went into this um, as more of a hobby than anything else, and, mm-hmm. and it just took over. Um, it, it took over very quickly, actually. After we <laughs> I sent one resume when we were in France, and it was de Picheline with Max. And I got called while and he I was, snapped you up. I got called while I was in London. Terrence called me while I was laying on Jancis Robinson's couch, mm-hmm. feeling not well. And <laughs> when you were recovering from I, your illness, I was recovering for, for food, so for foodborne illness. Anyway, um, he called me and said, "When you get in, just call me, and we'll we'll so interview." Had you had restaurant experience? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, had, I had had very good wine training. I, I had a staff that I trained and, and had done lots of wine tasting and had developed my palate on, on sort of blind wine tastings. And um, and he liked that. He liked mm-hmm. the idea of having somebody that was good at wine and good with cheese as well. Um, so I came in and was assistant to the sommelier and assistant to Max, the mm-hmm. fromager. Within two days of being back from France, I was working at Pichelin, mm-hmm. which was, again... Didn't like, you have jet lag? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lag of some sort, but... <laughs> and how soon did Artisanal open? Artisanal opened the following year. Oh, okay. Um, so you had at least yeah, some time to get settled. Because yeah, then you yeah. were in charge of 200 cheeses. Yeah, yeah. Right off the that bat. Was, I remember big, the menus yeah. were intense. It was, you know, I've, I've told you, it was drinking from the fire hose. <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot of footwork done in in that first year, and I, I love it. I, I I look back on it very fondly. I remember being just tired and yes. and being in New yes. York City and being in the the newspapers and then the food magazines every week. And, yes, and I remember you were in about the William Grimes. Right, in. you were in the initial review yeah. of the New York Times of Artisanal, yeah. and you had left me a message mm-hmm. on my on my voicemail that, saying, you know, this is Peter Kendall from Artisanal. Call me, I'll, you know, call me back. And I thought, oh, who's that guy? You know, they, yeah. you know, I don't know who that guy is. And then two days later, I read your name in the New York Times, and I said, oh my god, yeah, I got to call I, that guy back. When I when I saw myself on the cover of the food section of the New York Times, I felt like I had I had really I I yeah I'd gotten there yeah you landed so okay anyway so um you are also known for having a lot of opinions about a lot of things mm-hmm. P- 
political or or cheese political. Cheese I guess. political. Yeah. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the new FDA rules. What do you think of those, and how will they affect? Uh, how do they apply at your you job mean at Hawthorne the Valley? The ones they just dropped off on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had in a the chance. pipeline. I, in I the have pipeline. two kids. I don't oh, okay, read okay. The FDA t- the sidelines. Anyway, um, it's it's an interesting um, place to be in in production specifically being a certified raw milk dealer um, and raw milk cheese and fairly large distribution within uh, the metropolitan area. Um, the FDA is very, I, I hate to say, they're not, they don't fight us. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they come in and they do, they um, they look through all of our stuff and our paperwork is always impeccable and, and we always get complimented on. So you have a nice working having, relationship uh, yeah, with yeah, your we inspectors. Do. We do. Uh, they always manage to come up with something, but they have to. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't fault them that. Um, we have extremely good relations with the state and New York State has been phenomenal in, in supporting Hawthorne Valley specifically, I would say, um, there can be ag- antagonistic uh, relationships that go on uh, within the within the dairy world. And it always gets very dairy farmers don't like to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but we've always been very compliant. We're we're one of the longest running um, uh, raw milk licenses, and and that said, we do a lot of very proactive work at the farm and mm-hmm. we have a very good understanding of what it is we're doing and how now, what to do you mitigate mean? risk. Okay. I mean there, there's a lot of risks associated with selling raw milk and mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's um, it's sort of the health inspector's worst nightmare. It's 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 a product that that can very easily get contaminated. It's dealing with cows which are inherently very dirty and um, selling it directly to a public that doesn't necessarily understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is raw. It does have bacteria in it. Any sort of temperature abuse causes massive explosions in those bacteria. If they're bad ones, people can get sick. And mm-hmm. and who are the people drinking milk? I mean, obviously, kids aren't going out and buying raw chicken and mm-hmm. and eating raw chicken. But children are drinking milk, and mm-hmm. and that's what uh, I think uh, drives a lot of the. Um, a lot of the regulation or maybe over-regulation. Intensity. Yeah. The market really needs to understand what the product is because, as I was saying earlier, it, it really it does have an inherent risk. And is that risk okay for you as mm-hmm. a consumer? If, if you feel like that farm is doing due diligence and making sure that their product is getting out safe and is, is, is not without, it doesn't have um, that, that same level of risk, then I mean, it's 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 a hard it's a hard nut to crack for mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. a health official to understand um, understand that equation mm-hmm. or or for a farmer to understand their um, hesitancy right. to, to to really let that floodgate open mm-hmm. and and I, I I applaud them in number one allowing it mm-hmm. um, for sale off the farm which which keeps that that public safety equation very short it's, mm-hmm. it means you went to the farm you bought it knowingly. You feed it, you fed it you to know your kids, you, got you drank it, it right. you know where it, it's not going all over doesn't the place. It doesn't have as it many links to, exactly. to be and, watched. And I think it, it's sort of understandable, and, and, and I, I can understand where they're coming from. But there's also that whole novelty of, of moving into raw milk and raw milk production, small-scale dairying. All of that is very difficult um, to change quickly mm-hmm. it, it, it's a very slow process it's a it's a paradigm within all of these inspectors knowledge that says 
milk is inherently dangerous. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about industrial milk, milk that's intended for pasteurization, it's not the same as what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is milk, but if we if we ran on the same criterion that industrial milkers that were were <laughs> were running on we'd have killed somebody a long time ago because they know theirs is going to be pasteurized exactly. they are not we know that as this strict is about not. safety and we know mm-hmm. that that anything that's in that milk is going to be multiplied 10 times in the cheese and anything that goes into the raw milk you need to know before it hits the shelves mm-hmm. and so at Hawthorne Valley, we do um, in-house pathogen testing, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm going to go do a, a, a lecture um, with Giannocles, um Caldwell and at PASA, the, the uh, Pennsylvania Sustainable Agriculture uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's putting out a book just on raw milk for the consumer and raw milk for the, the, the food processor. just To drink. Or to make cheese. To make cheese, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sort of one and the same. And from our perspective, um, understanding that, number one, the, the state has a lot of budgetary constraints. And they recently, they used to do every month pathogen, full assay pathogen testing on our bulk tank. Mm-hmm. So you would get results on Listeria, Salmonella, E. coli, O157, and, and Campylobacter. And that came back every every month, and you would know what it was. Um, but the budgetary constraints of going from five certified raw milk dealers to 31 in the last 10 years ah. is really expensive. And mm-hmm. that was the they first They don't thing. have enough people to do all well, that testing. They don't have a budget to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and the public wants more of the raw milk. Yeah. There's yeah. a market and that's, for it now. And that's why you've gone from five back in the early 90s to 30 today, mm-hmm. or 32 today, something like and that. And why do people want raw milk to drink? It tastes good. It really, in a land, in, in the United States, we love our processed food, but we're realizing the ramifications of all of that, that um, over-processing. Um, and pasteurization changes things in milk, um, mm-hmm. just like cooking changes things in food. Um, and not that I'm a, a staunch raw advocate, but mm-hmm. I think there's there's um, there's a cost to pay with whenever you start to accept technologies without questioning them, mm-hmm. nutritionally, um, metabolically in your body. Um, but really, it boils down to it's it's no longer really an issue of of safety. It's an issue of your body. The quality Lots. of the food. Yeah, the quality of the food uh, plays an, an enormous part in in sort of the argument for raw milk is mm-hmm. it tastes better than pasteurized milk. Um, and I think there's almost a civic duty in me to maintain that, but to maintain it responsibly mm-hmm. from our end is, is from the processor side. If you want that to go forward, you need to be very wary of why it was made mandatory back in the 40s mm-hmm. is people do get sick and mm-hmm. and it can make you sick and, and you want it as safe as possible exactly okay. exactly so so uh, the image that we're gonna put that forward anyway that's that's where we're going okay that. i want to thank you for coming down and, and and being my interviewee today thanks to peter kendall from hawthorne valley this is diane stemple cutting the curd thanks very much you can get the podcast at either itunes or stitcher and we're on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.